these atoms and molecules are in us because in fact the universe is in us and we are not only figuratively the atomic but universe stardust. is stardust and stardust has sentience in you and me hi pan i like to stand here present some egghead scientific it's argument true. It's Schwarzenegger. This thing is addressing problems that don't exist. It's solutionism at its worst. You're the reason this species is a failure, and it makes me angry. Take control of your city. This is America! 2076 Podcast. Now connecting. Welcome back, everybody, to the 2076 Podcast. I said 276 last time and that was wrong 2076 the year 2076 let's be super clear i'm your host omar claflin and welcome back to the second or third job i've given myself because much like my producer uh, i wake up sometimes feeling like i'm not doing enough and i do bullshit like this that makes me you know tricks me into thinking now i'm doing something with my life uh if you're listening uh much appreciated I have no call to action for you because I don't know what I'm doing. Wherever you're listening to it, keep listening to it. Tell your friends. I guess that's what they say, right? All right. Uh, good enough. So last time on the 2076 show, uh, I dropped a bunch of uh, semi-coherent knowledge bombs. <laughs> uh, I was talking about mud fuds, uh, which is the colloquial term for MD-PhDs. And if you're just an MD or you're just a PhD, you, you fall into this category. It's, it's a coalition. Uh, there's higher tier ones that, that have achieved both in my hierarchy that I'm inventing, which serves me because I'm a mud fud. Um, and that is my humble brag for the episode. There you go. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so I have my, I have my totally technical, totally, uh, trained, totally experienced producer sitting right here. Uh, she's letting me use her, uh, really nice camera in exchange for some, help on statistics she had a statistics question for me right before the show so as soon as i'm done talking to you fine folks i have to help her with her uh statistics uh, she's she's dealing with some kind of data or something i don't know it's okay it's something i'm actually really good at so uh it's an exchange it's really just like an advisor position which is kind of what i was talking about last time the uh the advisor the advisor class is the idea of just not to redo the last episode is higher than the king class, right? There's kings, below that is ruling class, below that is, uh, you know, working class, and then some sort of slave class or, or whatever, downtrodden class. But the advisor class is like the ultimate. Anyway, so last time we got into uh, how Jafar and Aladdin is probably a mud fud. And I was thinking about that after the show, and I was like, you know, he's he uh, he a staff that's literally a snake, and the which is the logo for the medicalocracy. The twisting snakes. See, it keeps it keeps playing in more and more. It works. Um, you know, he had a. Yeah, I, I feel like there was a scene where he leaned into the Sultan and he was uh, doing some some mind some mind stuff on him. Do you remember that? You don't remember the Latin? Didn't sear into your psyche as a as a ten year old. What? I remember he was. Uh, he was advising the king, but it was perfect because Disney actually did a really good job of representing it. And he was leaning in like, because he was super tall and the king was very short and fat. And he was leaning in and until the, until the king was like on his chair leaning back. And uh, yeah, and then his little snake eyes were glowing too. The staff he was holding because he was kind of like hypnotizing it. And uh, I, that's such a apt metaphor now that I've spelled it out because that's what scientists do. They hypnotize you with their words. They come up with five, six, seven syllable words that mean the same thing of, the, of our colloquial speak, our common speak. Uh, they can't come up with their own language that's hypnotic, you know, and they start talking about neuroplasticity. They start talking about all these things, um, which I, I was ranting about last episode, and I don't think I explained very well either. This entire episode is just going to be me fixing the last episode. <laughs> um, uh, but that's okay. This is episode negative nine. So, you know, in like about eight episodes, I'm going to get my shit together. Um, it, it is being uploaded as the uh, 2076 
podcast, the 2076 podcast, and and it's free to watch because I'm so gregarious. I'm such a such a good guy. Uh, no, I just I'm an attention whore. I just want people to listen to me. Please listen to me. Um, what was I talking about? I was talking about. I was talking about. Uh, oh, hypnotic language. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, producer. Um, and uh, uh, nope. neuroplasticity. Thank you. Awesome. Not enough coffee. Um, yeah, neuroplasticity is a weird word for uh, the idea that your brain keeps changing as as you throughout your life. So it, it a lot of academic arguments, and I, this is probably not that interesting, but they're really just set up. They they do the straw man thing a lot. You know the thing you learn that is like a is a cheap debate tactic. Science thrives on cheap debate tactics because what they do is they set up a straw man. In this case, your brain changes until you're like 15 years old and then just solidifies, cements, stops. This was the idea in the 60s or 70s that some people were, I, I doubt, like I feel like if you went and surveyed the scientists back in the 60s, 70s, most of them wouldn't think that. They're like, no, you probably keep, but somebody did a clever job of representing that point of view, this really, extreme point of view and then say, Hey, look, I found a little evidence that your brain keeps changing when you're like 45 or 55. And then they coined the term neuroplasticity, the idea of it's plastic. And then last time on the episode, I was talking about these just premier examples of people selling, uh, MBAs, uh, business degrees with using the word neuroplasticity. Cause somehow those two are now, um, linked or, or one lends credibility to the other. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, so Jafar and, and the Mudfoods. Um, I did see an interesting example. Uh, we were uh, talking about this. I, I didn't know about this guy named Michael Saylor. He's, 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 a, he's an interesting lad. Uh, he's a billionaire. He's, I think he's about 60 now. <clears throat> he, um, excuse me, more caffeine. Uh, this is, none of this is real. It's all, it's all liquid caffeine. Um, uh, Michael Saylor, he's a billionaire. I, I saw him a couple months ago because he's the one who talked Elon Musk into putting all the, his money into Bitcoin, um, or all Tesla's money into Bitcoin rather. But, um, he's a, he's a really interesting guy. I, I didn't, I, I, we were, you sent me a link about him, um, this week and, uh, he, um, I don't know. He's just, he's like an industrialist, like uh, Elon Musk kind of, he, he does um, business analytics or something. He started in the late eighties. Um, and I just thought it was the, the interesting thing about Michael Saylor was that he, I didn't know this. He penned a uh, op-ed probably like close to a year ago. I forgot when, uh, and it got reposted in some press, like the it was some other Washington journal. It was like a lower tier, like a, like a lesser known, um, like the Washington journal or something. I don't know, something like that. And, um, cause I don't think the Washington post would, would post that Washington post is pro COVID. I mean, I mean, just being real, but so he penned something about like the COVID response in the United States is just terrible, which I think both sides say politically, you know, because one side says we're not doing enough. And the other side says we're, we're, um, self-immolating for very little gain. Um, the left and the right respectively, in case you did, you know, haven't been paying attention. Um, so again, not to get on either side of that, not to get on the whole, uh, to prosecute one or the other side of it. Uh, cause it, that's, that's getting into the game that, that, uh, pulls you out of the advisor class and you don't want to do that. Um, this whole podcast is, is a self-help tutorial, how to get yourself into the advisor class. And one thing is don't get pulled into the political game. Don't say, you know, you're left or right and, you know, start arguing one side or the other. Uh, but he has this, he had, he penned this whole periodical about, um, his whole, he had, it's like a 3000 word memo about how, uh, we've only delayed, like we didn't even stop deaths. We've just delayed the death count by a couple of weeks, something like that. And his thing is like, why didn't we say, just take all the half million vulnerable old people and secure and lock them down and keep everything running. What's again, let's, let's just observe it, but let's not get sucked in. The interesting thing I think, cause Elon Musk was, it was a, it was a similar opinion is 
this is an example of the uh, last time I was calling it the uh, the uh, vampire war. Um, you have the industrialists uh, like Elon Musk. Elon Musk is interesting because he 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 has a foot in the technocracy and he has a foot in the in the industrialists, which you know are sometimes allied and sometimes against each other. So you have the industrialists, like the people who actually make shit, who of course don't want the lockdown, you know, car companies, things like that. Uh, you have the technocrats um, who, who like, you know, Zoom, like Zoom doesn't mind if we're all shut into um, virtual prisons at home and now we have to communicate with each other using their service. Um, so there's, there's a real, there's a lot of technocrats that like this. Um, a lot of them don't mind. They figured out how to use their workforce remotely and stuff like that. Um, Amazon, Google, you know, that's what I mean by the technocrats, the technocracy, the, the you know, everyone knows they, they took over They're you know, but there's still a war. The industrialists are old. Um, and sometimes they're allied with the technocrats, but then there's a third faction. This is what I was trying to say last time, but I wasn't articulating as clearly is the mud fuds, the biomedicalocracy, the, the, you know, there's kind of scientists, they're medical people. And, and they're the third faction and they're the ones arguing for the lockdowns against the industrialists or against the, uh, and, and, uh, you know, so in this case, they're sort of trying to ally themselves with the technocrats because the technocrats are four of us being in virtual bubbles and the biomedical people love acting like we can do a lot about this when we probably can't just saying, uh, so I don't know. I just, I, I, I thought it was an interesting example of the, uh, of the, uh, of the vampire versus werewolf wars or whatever you want to call it, the fantasy universe I was painting last time. The mud fuds, as you said, the, the, the mud creatures, the morphine, sometimes they're uh, executive advisors to uh, Trump and Biden in the form of a NIH administrator, <laughs> Fauci. <laughs> sometimes they're, uh, you know, senators, uh, Republican senators on the other side. Sometimes they're uh, people uh, trying to podcast you know, anyway, uh, anyway, so that's a theme. Uh, we'll probably leave it at that. Uh, the idea of these high priests and priestesses to the emperors, um, watch out for them. You know, they, they'll split everybody up and everybody warring against each other and everyone and, and garnering social credibility and respect while it's all going on. And you might be wondering what's my personal bias is my personal bias that they, uh, yeah, you know, did they shut down my, uh, my favorite coffee shop last week? Maybe I used to go to this coffee shop. It was walking distance. It was beautiful. It was a Starbucks too. It was a, it's a main, it's a, what do you call it? Commercial chain. I, you know, if I get up at like 5am for whatever reason, or I was still up, I could just walk over and now they're, they, they shut, they shut down completely for like a week. And then they reopen and now they're only open from like 11 a.m. They have these really reduced hours. Is it coronavirus related? I think so. I'm, I'm guessing so. They didn't really say anything, but you know, I think you can blame everything these days on Corona. So, um, and then did that cause me to go drive to McDonald's to get my coffee? And then did that cause my credit card and their algorithms to say, why are you going to McDonald's? We're shutting down your credit card for several days. Maybe. Am I just personally inconvenienced and annoyed? So now I'm attacking these people with ruthless pettiness and making grandstanding conspiracy theories. Maybe. But um, I think we established that on episode negative 10 of the show of being, uh, oh, I don't remember everything I said. This is the problem with rambling. Uh, partly a conspiracy show partly a fact-checking science-based show partly a therapy show that's what we said i remember <clears throat> so i don't know what kind of pathology you have that this would be your therapy but this was i i i, I like to think i can accidentally be a fit for some people out there um what else has been going on uh oh yeah jessica walters she died today when I'm recording this, I think, um, we'll say yesterday cause I'll probably not get around to editing this till and putting it out till tomorrow. Um, she died this week. Let's say that, uh, I'm not, I'm not a showbiz person, so I'm not used to the, the fake timelines. Um, uh, Jessica Walters. Yeah. So she, I don't know if a lot of people know, I don't think any of my friends knew this, but, uh, she was like one of my favorite actresses. She plays, she played the mother in Arrested Development. 
and she played the exact same character in Archer, which was the cartoon, the adult cartoon. Um, she played the mother again of, of the Archer. And uh, yeah, and it's, it's a little bit like, I don't know how to, I think there's this percentage of the population that has moms like her and found her insanely funny. Um, and I'm, I'm putting myself in that category. Um, there's a couple scenes I remember where she, in Archer, there's a scene where 10 year old Archer's like vomiting into the toilet, wearing a Hitler Halloween costume. And she's standing there in a Halloween costume at the door, just like being disgusted with her 10 year old son. She's like, you can't drink, you can't play poker, you can't smoke. What the hell good are you for? You know, there's this, she had this, that was her personality. And there was a similar, uh, uh, she had a similar thing in, um, Arrested Development, you know, where she, uh, there was, she had three sons and a, and a daughter, uh, uh, Lindsay Bluth played by, um, Portia de Rossi or whatever her name is. The, the, the one that's, that's, the uh, um, married or whatever to Ellen. Yeah. And, uh, who did a really good job in the, in the early seasons. Um, she came back later and she had all this like plastic surgery and she looked and they made a lot of jokes about her on the show. But anyway, uh, all the actors in that show were really good. And, uh, but there was, there was this daughter, um, mother, I mean, she, she did this to all of her kids. She did it with Job, who was the, you know, older, um, kind of loser. He was just a magician. And, and then they, she did this with, um, the daughter and the daughter, you know, she did the, the narrator. There's this one scene where she's just like shredding the daughter. It's like a flashback scene and she's shredding the daughter. And then, um, Michael's like, why do you talk to her that way? You know, you, you need, you know, um, can you, you, you know, don't be so mean, basically, you know, he's trying to like stand up for his sister and the mother's like, oh, please. Like, I'm uh, basically like, like the kids at school are going to say far, far worse to her. And then the narrator kicks in and he goes, but they never did, you know? <laughs> and it was this, it was this rationalization that she was like toughening up her daughter. Uh, so she would always say the worst shit she could think of. So, so, um, my, my, my producer doesn't really understand this type of parental relationship, but, but, um, there's people out there who must have, because Jessica Walters was a very popular, um, actress with these characters. And, uh, um, yeah, anyway, so she's dead this week, but, uh, um, I, I was always a huge fan. Um, so I don't know, a little, little too much insight into, um, me, but I don't know. I assume other people out there, um, felt that way. Um, yeah, what was it? What was another thing that was going on? Uh, oh yeah, the NFT stuff. I don't know if we've really covered it. I, I was covering it in my audio podcast a little bit, but is that like the technocracy again? Or? The technocracy, yes. The technocracy. The, thank you. Yes, it's it's the technocracy literally trying to make, uh, like almost their own um, class of investment vehicle. Like Bitcoin and all these things is the technocracy trying to create their own currency now, which is which is great because we're going to see the war now because the, let me tighten this. This is like spinning like crazy. I think we're good. Okay. Um, so Ray Dalio is a billionaire this week. I think he said, uh, that they're probably gonna, he's, I think he said this multiple times in the past that they're probably gonna outlaw Bitcoin in the United States. That's what his opinion on it. Yeah. You didn't hear that. Yeah. And it's because it's a competing currency. Like, the, the market volume of Bitcoin compared to like the US dollar is still very small, but it's growing. And and so he says if it if it starts rivaling, you know, I, I don't know what he says honestly, but the, the argument I can just imagine what it is, is if it starts, you know, getting to the volume where uh, you know, it rivals the dollar, starts to, you know, get to some like double digit percentage of the dollar, um, you know, it's not only just like threatening the IRS tax base and that's, that's, that's already starting because the IRS this year put in their forms, you know, you have to report whether or not you own any crypto. They don't make you do anything else, but they're just making you check that box. And then, and they, can they figure that out? well, yes, probably they can, my producer asked, can they figure that out? Because just by checking that box or not checking the box, if you had it now they can come back at you because they, they have you reporting something false in a form. Um, a lot of these, I, I was sort of looking at crypto. I, I didn't have the, I didn't actually get the balls to buy anything, but I was looking, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get into that later. But, but, um, uh, but I, I was trying to register on a lot of these websites and, and a lot of these websites, 
um, are being forced to report to government agencies. So there was like, uh, for instance, Ripple, which is this um, uh, pretty high volume cryptocurrency. Uh, it's up there with Bitcoin and Ethereum, which are the two ones that exploded. Um, Ripple is like it's still less than a dollar, but it's interesting. But it's being sued by the SEC right now because it's trying to replace the way banks trade with each other. So it's a it's it's trying to like dominate and be the primary crypto used by banks, which. You know, there's all sorts of arguments about whether it's going to be stable enough that banks are going to want to use it or not. But, but uh, apparently that that caught the attention of federal, and now they're being sued, and and they're and they they didn't settle, so now they're going to court this year. Um, this is turning into a fact podcast, but uh, I guess we said it was a little bit of fact science podcast. Um, so that, that I think that's by the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, um, I believe. Um, but my point is, like, for instance, you can't buy any Ripple right now because the SEC's put a fro freeze on it. So when you go to any of these websites to buy Ripple, Ripple they, they've, all per they've all stopped their customers, if they're based in the United States, from buying it. There's probably, I mean, there's definitely ways you can get that done if you want. But my point is they're, they're, they're getting any of these people that whose business is, is to allow you to buy and sell crypto are playing with the government. Um, you know, they're trying to be obedient and stuff like that because they're all still relatively small. Um, there's a good book. I don't know. Is this going to be a book recommendation podcast? But uh, it's called Currency Wars. I, I read that recently. That was a pretty good book. Um, yeah, it, it it's interesting because <laughs> I don't know. I, maybe it's not interesting. Maybe I have to say it's interesting because I'm about to vomit boring shit at you. But but if you think of currency as as a you know, it's a stack of IOUs, the, you know, fiat currencies. Um, the the currency war book, just to summarize it, is it shows how it can also be used as a weapon. Like you have, um, you know, ballistic kind of kinetic warfare. Um, you know, you have cyber warfare, and then they're saying you call it also have this um, financial warfare, and that's what. And that it, it's just a different lens to look at it, and and it's kind of interesting because I used to be more. I guess have more anxiety about whenever the United States prints a bunch of money, like they're doing again now. Uh, I think we were like a, something like 11 trillion or something uh, 10 years ago. And now we're at like 25 trillion in terms of we just exploded. We're just there's the they're running the the printing machine, right? And uh, yeah, um, sorry, I'm I'm handling the recording today on my laptop, and I'm just checking. Okay, we're good. Um, yeah, what are we? We're talking about macroeconomics. The, you're talking about NFTs. Too. Talking about NFTs. Well, okay, just to finish the um, the currency warp, so you don't have to read it, but you can act like you read it. Um, it's it's the idea of of economic warfare. So the, so it just paints a good picture of of which I didn't really fully understand. Um, not that I do still, but I understand better of the United States forcing much of the rest of the world to use our U.S. dollar, and and this is interesting because when you go back to crypto and, and NFTs, which are really silly, but um, you know what Bitcoin doesn't have is a U.S. Navy. Bitcoin doesn't have an NSA. You know, Bitcoin doesn't have you know a CIA. You know, and, and, a, and a all and whatever else the United States uses and wields over the other countries of the world. So, so that'll be interesting because there's a lot of um, hype about it replacing things, but. Ultimately, it's just another kingdom, whether it's a state-based kingdom or a technocrat kingdom, trying to issue out their own currency. And I don't know. I don't know. So it's got it's got very uh, it's got very dry. But um, so what's an NFT? What is an NFT? An NFT is my producer asked me. She's she's trying to keep the show going. It's very good. Uh, NFT. Um, I forgot what it stands for. You're testing me. Uh, uh, non-fungible something transaction, non-fungible something, and it just it, it and it, and basically what it is is it's it uses the same technology crypto uses, which is the blockchain, which is just this record keeping thing on the internet. It's a cloud-based record keeping. That's all it really is, and uh, uh, it's supposed to be more resilient to um fraud and hacking. Although I'm sure there's problems with it, and uh. And NFTs are a record of who owns what. 
So if you, if you, and people are obviously just trading and selling like JPEGs and, and, and pictures on the internet and somebody will have ownership over that, um, according to the blockchain. So that's really what it is. Um, I, uh, uh, I mean, if you, if you really want to, if you get to the next level, what is it? Is it, is it just a big speculation game? Yeah. Speculation, you know, meaning like I'm buying it just because I think I can resell it because other people think they're going to be able to resell it. So it's, it's a very similar to a pyramid scheme, you know, where you, um, you, you get those people that come to your door selling them um, makeup or whatever the old ones used to be in the nineties or the two thousands. Uh, I don't know if you close. Yeah. And it's, it's really not really about the product It's about getting, signing up 10 more people to be salesmen under you. And they, they realize in order to get under from out from under their commitment that they've, cause they've given you a bunch of money, uh, had, you know, um, upfront that they have to sign like 10 people under them to get, you know, it's, it, that's a pyramid scheme, right? So it's this, it's this, it works as long as there's like an infinite pool or you're not close to the end of the, of the thing. So that's, that's the speculation game, which is not that dissimilar from like a weird kind of casino or something. So there's definitely a speculation component of it. And then it's this, um, probably money laundering tool for the wealthy. I mean, that's probably what's going on too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, why would you buy a JPEG for $2 million? You know, it's stupid. It's, it's, I, I must, because I think I, I have no idea, by the way, I'm not a tax lawyer. I don't know any rich people, but I'm guessing that if you, if you have all this profit and cash coming in and you can buy a bunch of NFTs and count it as an investment, and NFTs are sort of like a volatile investment, like Bitcoin has been recently. Um, Cause Bitcoin's not like, these are even worse than crypto because they're, you know, like Bitcoin is supposed to be, uh, is supposed to be, is, is fungible. Unlike these are literally called a non-fungible. And they meaning like you can go buy t a Tesla with Bitcoin or whatever. And, and in theory, they want to get more abroad. But Bitcoin is still worse than the dollar because the dollar is tied to U.S. GDP output. The dollar is backed by the U.S. Navy, like 12 fleets all around the world, carrier fleets and, and a bunch of satellites and a, and a very dominant air force and a bunch of nuclear missiles and the NSA and the CIA. And the, I mean, the Bitcoin doesn't have any of that stuff. And NFTs are even less um, than uh, less um, substantial than Bitcoin. So... Um, Anyway, I had this. What can you make it? What can be an NFT? What can be an NFT? Well, apparently, my producer asked, "What can be an NFT?" And she might actually know more about this than me because she's she's been on Clubhouse, which apparently is one of the places to uh, go and talk about NFTs and have conversations about conversations about NFTs. And I mean, you could have conversations about conversations about anything on Clubhouse. Um, your PhD is preparing you to have conversations about conversations. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, apparently NFTs, you, I think you were telling me this, that NFTs can be, uh, oh yeah, they were talking about, they had a con you, yeah, you're, you're, you're cueing me to retell you what you've told me. That's interesting. Um, uh, clubhouse, there was a clubhouse conversation you're listening to where they were all, um, a bunch of blowhards, including like Lex Friedman and, uh, I forget who else you said that, or the, a bunch of these like, oh, yeah. What is that group? What is that group? Are they, are they, are they like, are they neo intellectuals? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I, I have to, I, I need to come up with a, I'm not good at this. Trump was good at this. You know, the derogatory like <laughs> tag for people. I need to learn that skill. That's. Yeah, old men are good at this. Like old, old men that are like, you know, 65 years or older and they have a certain uh, personality type to them. They're really good at tagging people with just like the right. So yeah, whatever. I'm just, I'm a, I'm kind of a uh, toothless former intellectual. So, or former academics. I don't really have that. I don't have that instinct yet, but uh, yeah, whatever they are, the neo-intellectuals. And they were sitting around talking about how they're such great conversationalists. So, Oh, yeah, Eric W. Einstein, which I, I I would refuse to call him Eric Weinstein, um, or Weinstein, because he doesn't want to be confused with 
Weinstein, the sexual predator, even though it's spelled the same way, he wants to be confused with Einstein, the genius Jewish scientist. Yeah. Yes, of course. So I just call him Eric W. Einstein because I, I feel like he'd appreciate that even better. He just hasn't taken it that far. He hasn't thought of it yet. Or maybe he thinks it's, you know, it's too much, but I'm willing to call him. Yeah, Eric W. Einstein, Lex Friedman. And they were, so they were in this room, they were talking about how they're such great conversationalists mm -hmm. and uh, how they themselves could be NFTs. Isn't that something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Conversations could become NFTs. Oh, their actual conversations could become NFTs. Yeah, and then, oh, yeah. No, 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 you're right. And also value themselves as an NFT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something about, yeah, that was, it was something like that. Um, it's funny because like a month before this, I was making the joke and I wonder if somebody saw it and stole it from me. <laughs> Probably not. I don't, I don't, I don't have any online like, um, <laughs> presence, but, um, I made the joke. I'll tell you. I mean, I was imagining the scenario because clubhouse was so annoying, uh, where it's interesting if you've never been to Clubhouse. Clubhouse is at, it's now at the stage of where Facebook was in like 2004, 2005 maybe, where they want to let everybody in. They're just acting like it's exclusive. So it's pretend exclusivity because there's already millions of accounts in Clubhouse. But you can apply. You could just, you're just on a wait list. They'll wait a few days and, and maybe somebody will let you in. I, I don't know um, how it works. Um, I tried a few times with like fake names and they didn't let me in. So... Um, maybe you have to use a real name. I don't, I don't know, but you know, it, or you could just, if somebody knows you, um, that's in it, you can, they can let you in. But anyway, uh, uh, what was I talking about clubhouse? Oh yeah. I just thought it was odd because I got, I, I, you know, I got in about a month ago and, uh, there's, there's a button that says leave quietly. Like it's very odd. It, it's, it's such a, it's such a specific, was that an adverb? It's such a specific adverb that some like program manager at Clubhouse uh, tacked on, you know, like don't leave with a ruckus. Don't just leave, leave quietly, you know, and, and it's your only option. Like you don't have any other option. So I, it was very f annoying to me. So I wanted to have a button where it says, you know, leave while making a scene. And you would, uh, it would somehow, you know, leverage AI and create a ruckus that was you know, perfect to the context of the conversation. And you would, you push that button, you'd leave some ruckus would be created, you know? And then I thought, well, once you take it that far, you could make that an NFT. And then, so the bigger the scene you create, the more your NFT is valued, you know? And then that would be, that would have a whole market of NFTs because I mean, that's what we're doing now. We're it, the joke, it's the, the joke is this because well, a, because it's just garbage that's being treated like a tangible object. And then B, because all these things are socially valued, uh, which is a silly thing to say because I mean, it's like, isn't everything socially valued? But it's, it's, uh, there's, there's such a, there's such a, there's such a um, market of social clout on Clubhouse. Like everyone's trading in, in social clout. It's, it's really like a multi-level marketing scheme um, of, like the inside of a tension economy. So everyone on there, you know, I, I was telling you, it was, I was really funny that um, I, Joe Rogan went on there, Tim Dillon talked Joe Rogan into going on and then they were in the same room. And of course they were getting a bunch of people showing up and within minutes, Eric W. Einstein showed up. And it was funny because like two minutes before that, uh, Tim Dillon was joking about, he made a really good joke. He was, I'm just retelling their jokes now, but it was good. I have, this is what I do. I sift the entire internet for the good stuff. And then you hear a, a half told version of it. Uh, Eric W. Einstein would, um, is probably pulling over on the side of the road, um, right now. Cause he's like driving and he saw roads and he's pulling over to get in on the clubhouse room. And, and, uh, and, it, and then, and then it kind of happened a couple minutes later. I was like, it didn't see that. And then there was some comedian there that, um, she was, she's just kind of like a nobody comedian who's been, um, it's interesting because there's people on Clubhouse who have like a million followers and then you go to their Twitter and they have like a couple thousand. So these things are not very connected. Like you can be very, it's like having a, you know, many millions of followers on Instagram and then having almost nothing on the other media sites. Um, anyways, it's just a new social cloud attention economy game, which historically my, you know, for like 
over three decades of my life, I've never played and but now I'm trying to do this for fun. So I have to probably learn it a little bit. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. So clubhouse, uh, so yeah, or, or bathhouse, like me and my friends call it because it, it's, it's kind of a, it's a little, it's a lot of mutual dick sucking. So anyway, um, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a, um, there's definitely this like attentional economy game to it where, um, the, the, so the comedian I was saying, she was kind of, she, she showed up and she was waiting to turn to talk while Joe Rogan was there while the room was filled with thousands of people. And these are live people. It's an audio only chat. I don't know if I've explained that, but, um, and, uh, and then she totally tried to a plug herself, b aggressively ask Rogan for a spot on his show and then see plug some sponsor that she has. Wow. Yeah. And, and she got called out on all of it because it, she hardly said anything. And that was, but she managed to cover those three things in like a minute. And, and, uh, I, th- I, I, it was, that was, um, gratifying to see her, you know, obviously get called out on that stuff. But, but, um, that's kind of what it is. You know, it's like trying to get people's attention and then just redirect them. Um, so on that note, let's go to our sponsor. No, I don't have a sponsor. <laughs> Just, yeah. Uh, yeah. My sponsor is, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Go, go to, go to, go to my stuff and keep watching my stuff. Um, maybe start a petition to get the Starbucks next to me to reopen at 5am. That'd be good. Um, yeah. So, uh, let me, let me, let me, uh, check on something here. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, I brought up, uh, I brought up, um, clubhouse, bathhouse, uh, Tim Dillon, Tim Dillon's, I, I like Tim Dillon's stuff. I, I watch him a little bit. Like I, I don't watch his podcast or anything, uh, which is funny cause I'm trying to do them now. Um, I don't know. I don't know how people do that. I don't know how people listen to these people, these solo podcasters. <laughs> my, my podcast, my producer looks uncomfortable because, uh, I'm being too self-aware. I'm, I'm calling out the solo podcast format. I don't, I don't quite get it, but I don't have enough friends. I, I, I don't have any friends that will appear on camera with me. So I've been forced to this format, which is, which is fine. Um, because I used to do an audio podcast where I would, uh, drive out in my car. Sometimes at like midnight, I'd go get like a burger and I would just sit in the parking lot and just podcast myself as like kind of a therapy thing. And then I kind of got into that habit. So then now I'm doing a video version of it anyway. Uh, but anyway, Tim Dillon's got some funny clips. Uh, he's w- one of the best ones probably is, is a fake business bit. Right. And, uh, so he, he used to, I think he used to be a realtor, um, or some kind of, I don't know what he used to do, but, um, he, uh, he just, you know, he has this whole thing about, about, uh, fake business, pretend work. Um, but he, he applied it specifically to like, he'd call up these realtors in LA and pretend he was interested in purchasing, but then he wasn't interested in purchasing. That's, that was the bit. And I think a lot of people are just, um, find it titillating. Cause he's like, he's having these phone calls as a, you know, and not being interested. Um, but to me, that's like pretty classic trolling, which, you know, I I've done, I've done before. I mean, um, I have this story I've told my friends before. Some of my friends were there for it. Where in college, I uh, gave a fake interview to a newspaper reporter because she was covering something, some political thing, which I didn't know anything about. So I just kept making up answers, and I kept doing the uh, the second guy, the and then she would fill in the blanks. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so his policies, I don't know, you know. I would just, and then uh, um, and I gave her a fake name, and then I got a quote in the paper. So. Um, but I, I, there's a lot more to the fake business bit because, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of like pretend work in society. We talk about this a lot and it's kind of a cynical view, but it's, it's just, you know, like, I, you know, I have a job. I mean, it's a lot of people sitting around pretend, pretend work. They spend more time looking like they're working than actually doing any work. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I didn't I didn't I haven't looked at that recently, but there was that really good uh, CIA document. Remember that? Um, that was uh, it w- it's from the uh, '40s, and it was how to sabotage things. And they were I think it was a manual on if you were a double agent in like Nazi Germany, 
you know, there's a lot of like mechanical things like, you know, put a, put a screw in the engine and kind of things like that. But there was, there, it was a brilliant document. I really should probably just do a whole episode on this or something, but there was a whole, um, there's probably like 12 points on how to uh, conduct meetings that are just time wasting, have meetings about meetings. Whenever someone asks you to do something, say, we need to have a meeting about that. You know, it's a lot of that. And, and that's, that's how everything actually works now. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, um, it's a lot of fake pretend work. So, you know, he has fake business. I'm saying pretend work cause it's more universal. And, um, I mean, you know, this, I, I, I actually try to, uh, I try to write fiction, right? I was, I was totally, um, done with the academic stuff and I was trying to write fiction, which is such a cliche as I found out there's a lot of former academics trying to write fiction. I wrote like 200,000 words. Um, you know, a couple hundred, uh, pitches to, uh, literary agents got nowhere with them. Uh, wrote one kind of bullshit grant to, uh, to a federal agency made more money than I would have made, you know, on my, like, you know, definitely my first or even second book, uh, had I even gotten deal with any of the books I wrote. So far more profitable to, uh, to, um, I don't know. I don't know what my point was. Pretend work, something like that. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know. Was there, oh yeah, there was a news item about the, um, uh, the ship stuck in the Suez Canal. Uh, I don't know if I had anything about that, but I'm just bringing it up to fill in time. Yeah. I got a few more minutes to fill up here. <clears throat> um, what's the, uh, it's the Suez Canal, right? Yeah, it's just funny that it's stuck there because it's like blocking the entire thing. Yeah. Yeah, because it's 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 a, it's a it's a giant like skyscraper sized ship they said on CNN lodged into a sandbank yeah. perpendicular. Perpendicular, so they're totally blocked, and they seems like they don't know how to get it out. Yeah, well, there was I I, I think there was a there was a was in the sixties there was a war because Egypt tried to nationalize that canal, mm. um, and then the you know Israel and basically the entire world kind of rallied behind them because they don't want to nationalize. They don't want to, you know, somebody. Yeah. Or whatever. Just the, just to threaten to shut it down all the time. That's the, you know, it's everybody's acting in their self-interest. I mean, it's not that conspiratorial, but it's like, we don't want to be dependent on one person for oil, for instance. So we try to have a lot of, so, uh, so yeah, there was a, there's, and I, it's probably happened before where they've had to shut it down in the last, well, how was 60 years ago in the last 60 years, they've, that's probably happened before, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just draws, I just, I was imagining that cause it's a cargo ship, you know, it's got the cargo containers and in the cargo containers are a million probably crates, you know, and then in the crates are a million like packages and stuff. And I just imagine all of these Amazon prime packages being delayed. I, I know they're not being shipped from that part of the world usually, but, but my, uh, my USB cable or whatever is being delayed and just being irritated and just that's like the world now it's 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 attentional focus of the entire world on the Suez Canal blockage and it's just filled with like American USB cables or American bound USB cables or whatever I don't know that's what I'm always purchasing yeah it probably is yeah my producer said it was coming from Asia so it actually works um uh, it actually fits uh yeah and I know there's a bunch of oil ships you said that are bl- uh, uh, blocked and they're kind of stuck in the canal but Right, right, right. There's a bunch of ships because they all have to go backwards. And the way canals work too, I don't know if that's, that canal works that way, but like the Panama Canal is they have locks. Um, weirdly, my my grandfather used to work on this stuff um, in the Midwest. If you can't tell, I have a slight Midwestern accent because I was there till I was 10 years old. But uh, my uh, grandfather worked in the Great Lakes with, on uh, like water projects like that. And the, there's locks... Um, so, because a lot of times like the water level is lower or higher. So what they do is they, they have these locks and that lets the water fill up and the ships come in and then they lock it and then they, they unlock it and they have to, they have to have these like stages. So it's not like you can't just turn around and go the other way necessarily. I don't know how the Suez Canal is. I don't, I haven't looked into the water, the engineering of it before I talked about it. Uh, but um, I'm sure it's way more complicated than all of them just turning around and getting out of there because I'm sure they would have 
if they know they're going to be blocked for weeks yeah, yeah, yeah. or maybe they are at this point and um yeah. but uh i know there it's like it's like really narrow and then there's this little area that's not narrow and they're all a bunch of stuck there trying to get through because the, it's blocked right in the most southern part mm. of the canal so the entire canal is blocked you're saying yeah it's yeah. It, they didn't block at it like the mouth of it. They blocked at it, or I guess they did block at the mouth of it. They did, they, <clears> did, they did. But there's, but there's a whole holdup, like because there's little, mm-hmm. there's, um, it's narrow completely except for one area. Got it. And so she's saying that it's that. it's blocked at the most narrow part, and it's probably blocked at close to the end of it. Yeah. So that's the thing that's happening. Make this uh, podcast more timely and relevant, and then quickly outdated if you watch this <laughs> months from now. Um. Yeah, I, I keep wondering if NFTs are gonna fade away. So that's kind of why I've resisted talking about it too much. No, I don't think. I think a lot of. I think it solves a problem about music, digital music. I think it solves. Oh yeah, it does accidentally. That's how a lot of these things are. Like, like they accidentally solve problems. This is a whole thesis I've had about technology because we, we to some extent we think. I mean, there is a lot of good examples of us deliberately solving problems that we set out to solve, but a lot of technology is like accidentally solving problems. It's like penicillin, right? Where Louis Pasteur wasn't trying to tackle that problem. He just had a contaminated culture and ended up producing this thing. And when he looked at it, he realized the bacteria cells were dying and he's like, oh, I have an antibiotic. You know, that's the story basically. Um, so in this case, the NFTs are, are solving a uh, music, musical rights. Oh yeah, for instance, I did hear about this on the radio that um, a lot of bands are trying to like make money by selling like their albums and stuff because it's it's kind of like artwork, but they've had maybe not a great way to sell it. I, in the past, people have tried to produce a single like CD or something, and but then they don't distribute it, so it's weirdly weird because if they distribute it, there was no value to it. So there, there was, there was, uh, there was, uh, like the guy, uh, Martin Shkreli apparently bought a, um, <laughs> I, know what you're talking about. I, just don't remember. I don't remember the band. He, it was like a nineties band that it was like an R and B or rap band or something. I don't, I, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really bad cause it's, they're a really big band too. I just don't remember. Uh, anyway, um, apparently he bought some, but yeah, that it's, it's cause they, they used to make a lot of their uh, money, like personally, not the marketing companies but uh, the bands would make their money with uh, concert tours so the NFTs are giving them the ability to do that um, oh yeah you did you did make Wu-Tang a, that's a, God, that's embarrassing yeah Wu-Tang yeah I'm not with it so yeah I don't know um, actually there was there was something interesting too I just remembered uh, out of order uh, you were talking about uh, you were listening <laughs> um, well maybe you were talking somebody was talking about uh, uh, transgender and they were talking about there's an interesting take on it where um there's a push for it because it's this expensive reimbursed procedure especially as the political winds shift it's being reimbursed and it's an insanely expensive um procedure that debate wise you could argue it might be unnecessary maybe not the best way to deal with it who knows i i don't know i don't know um let me let me preface for, first with a story just so you you don't because 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 I'm I'm just I'm making an argument against it but but like I remember so I was I went to uh, here's an, here's a homeboy again I went to um, medical school and I did some uh, I actually did a way rotation in um, Northern California which is supposed to be a very liberal area right and I remember being in a I was on a radiology rotation. And we were, there were some, they, we, they have like grand rounds, which is every week we cover, um, interesting cases, sometimes cases where people fucked up, like the doctors fucked up. And so we can all learn. And, uh, so I was in this radiology, um, grand rounds, uh, because I was out there on a rotation in like my fourth year med school. And I remember they had, uh, they had a, they had some procedure they were doing on this uh, patient and, uh, it wasn't really relevant to the case, but you know, the guy presented it. So like they, they did this, like, I don't know, some abdominal thing or whatever. And then you're like, Oh, by the way, can you tell, like, is it, you guys, you guys notice something like, look at, you know, and then when the, especially after he drew attention to it and just because of the prompting of it, I knew what he meant because they were, we were referring to this patient as a he the whole time. And then when you looked at the hips and you know, the skeletal hips, you're like, Oh wait, this person's a female because you can, you can, um, 
you can kind of tell, um, you know, from the radio radiograph sometimes. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, this person's a transgender, you know, and they had like a procedure to get like a fake penis and stuff like that. And I remember just like a bunch of the doctors like, ah, you know, like doing this like judgment. I'm like, why? First of all, it was so stupid, not from a moral point of view. It's just stupid. Like this, the patient's not in the room. The surgeon's not in the room. Like this, this procedure was done in like Kansas or something. And they're, and they're also the, I, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of it at the time because I was like 20, but that, that there, there was a political slant that was completely inverted. You have all these San Francisco doctors or Northern California doctors being like, you know, like so judgmental for no reason, like just to signal to all the other doctors in the room. And, and I was like, and you're not supposed to be judgmental of the doctor. And so, so I just want to give you that story. And I just remember, cause I was sitting, I always sit in the back of the room and I was, I was like, what the hell is wrong with you guys? Anyway, I thought that was dumb. It, I mean, just at the very least, just dumb. And then of course, just like, why do you have an opinion anyway? But anyway, it's, it's, it's interesting cause it's these insanely expensive, very traumatic operations. Um, and, and you were, so, so you were listening to somebody who was making that argument and I thought it was another favor, you know, point in favor of my uh, mud fud conspiracy, uh, because you have something that's benefiting the medical establishment again, you know, with these big expensive operations. Um, ah, there's a good book. I don't know who cares. I was going to give you another book recommendation. There's a book I read like 10 years ago that was, that talked about the way the medical, the medical economy works in the United States, um, for medical devices and stuff like that. Anyway, but anyway, there's, there's another example from like 10, 15 years ago, very similar transgenders, but completely different, which I, I was telling you about, uh, which is the neonates. Cause in the United States culture, neonatal care is psychotic compared to most countries. Like, end of life care too, by the way, like, you know, when you get people from like South America, they're just sort of more like, you know, they're very, they're, they're more likely to be religious and more like live, let die. You know, they're more reflective of what kind of life they've already had and all that stuff, you know, and in the United States, you have this like screaming, you know, fingernails, you know, clean kind of, uh, thing, uh, of culture, microculture, philosophy, uh, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, I, I, uh, very similar to end of life care. There's something like that with neonates. And this was happening already like in the nineties because we were realizing, Oh, if somebody's, if there's a neonate that's 24 weeks, we can save them. Oh, we've pushed it back 22 weeks. It's like this ego trip, right? It's like, it's like this weird competition among medical establishments and doctors and you can make it noble. You could try to make it, but let's not because there was estimates that it, it cost it costing billions of dollars a lot of these neonates were having very poor outcomes as they grew up, you know, they, you know, and, and, and we, we figured out some of the issues with that. Like, um, they they have, they have underdeveloped lungs. So we give them surfactant and stuff like that. There's, there's some things we can do, but there's, there's a lot of things that still happen statistically to those population. And, and it's funny because it kind of serves this medical establishment, more public money flows to them. Uh, you know, and, and it's, and it's coming from whether it's coming from public policy or private insurances, uh, it, it serves the, uh, the vampires, the, the medicalocracy. And I just thought it was interesting that, uh, what you were saying, that person was saying about transgenders, I, it occurred to me, oh yeah, that's also in the metal medicalocracy's favor. So that's another way where the political debate has a, um, medicalocracy, um, favoritism to, towards it. Um, I don't know, whatever. I mean, I, maybe people have fun arguing with this stuff because it's, uh, it's funner just to scream about morality and stuff. And I'm, I'm making it very dull by talking about economics and biology, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it, there's a, there's a, there's a fact checking component. There's a conspiratorial component, you know, uh, and maybe that's because those two things should be kept separate and I'm doing, I'm creating the hideous monster by combining them. Um, that's not true. Everyone, every conspiracy, conspiracy theorist tries to, uh, bring fake facts into their arguments, but, um, yeah. You just think that the, the medical establishment has, is acting as if they're moral, but they have a lot of financial incentives that push them. Certain ways. Exactly. And nobody's talking. 
So my producer said uh, that you know she's doing her best to summarize this rambling runaway train. Uh, that the medical establishment basically has financial incentives, but act as if they're moral. I once said this. Uh, what did I say exactly? I said it off the cuff, and I, I should have remembered exactly what it was. Um, I said something like, "I was tell I was advising some group to." not necessarily do medical school because I did it when I was young because I it was like a default plan I didn't really know what I was doing in my life and I was like make sure you you know you actually really want to do it because they are, all they want to do is get into med school and uh you know and I was advising I'm like you go do rotations like make sure you do you want it like go experience it and see what you actually want to do because a lot of times when you're young you're just trying to do what you think everyone else thinks you should do and I said something like oh, I'm not gonna remember it's something like I said, don't do it because it's a combination of, uh, it's the best combination of Jesus and capitalism yeah. because doctors make a lot of money and, uh, uh, I didn't explain it. They got what I meant. I'm just explaining it to you because I assume you're slower than them because you're not pre-meds. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, because, because capitalism, you know, because it, because doctors actually make a lot of money in Western society, um, in the capitalistic, uh, framework. And Jesus was a healer, and that's like the highest, you know, in, in Western. And even if you're not, you know, religious or Christian, it's it still is this permeating like um, archetype, you know. Of, of and don't don't use Jesus then, but just a healer, you know. That they that's why doctors doctors have a lot of status because they're healers, and and they have a lot of like you know symbolism stuff from that too. And um, and one of these young kids, I'm not. You know, I wasn't as young as these kids, and one of them said, "Oh, that's the most woke thing I've ever heard." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay," <laughs> but uh, but that's what that's really what it is. It's a it's a Jesus plus capitalism, perfect intersection. You get the best of both, you know. And uh, um, I, 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 and then and then now they're trying to they want the they they've had their cake, they're eating it too, and now they want the pie because now they want to be advisors to the emperors, you know. And and that that's what pissed me. That's what that's what pissed me off about Fauci and the uh, and the PhD that was with her with him uh, the I don't Deborah whatever her name was Burks oh no she was an MD actually you're right I forgot I thought she was it doesn't matter I'm combining them all because um, she literally would show up and I remember mentioning this uh, you know a year ago she would show up with a scarf around her shoulders like a wizard like she had the wizard robes on. And she's like the models, you know. The models have said, you know, and 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 they were and they were absolutely atrocious models because I was pulling down public data, throwing it in Excel, and and getting those predictions a week ahead of her models. Like I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying that they're so the NIH models were so shitty that I could do what they were doing ahead of time in Excel. Um, and and I can say that because I've I've done NIH projects. I've been paid by the NIH, so I, I I'm I'm able to. Uh, speak as an insider i feel like insiders in like the financial industry is are way more sexy insiders the cia like i was an insider at the science establishment like you know it's not not a sexy i'm aware i'm self-aware which makes this a little more palatable hopefully anyway um anyway i think that's that's mostly our time for episode negative nine of the 2076 podcast um i think i have a patreon set up so i should start plugging that but whatever uh you can listen to these for free on uh youtube uh spotify apple Podcasts, which other things i mean obviously i don't think you can listen to you can see the video on them but if you want to see the video you want to see my face if you're hearing an audio version of this and you're like i wonder what this uh tool this douchebag looks like go to youtube and google the 2076 podcast and that's the year 2076 and that is because uh, it was something that was available when I Googled it. Like nobody's grabbed that year, which is crazy to me because it's 300 years after the 1976 American Revolution year. I'm saying the year in case you're not American and you don't know what that year means to Americans. Um, it's futurist and it's hard to say correctly because I keep saying 276 instead of 2076. Anyway, uh, that's it for the show. Um, we, uh, I'll come out with one next week too. If that, hopefully that's a plan. My producer lets me use her camera. Thank you again. And thank you for listening. Bye. This is America!